but we are going to be talking this this Sunday and next Sunday on two different stories. A couple of just my favorite stories about Jesus. Most of them, all of them are my favorite. But um, when Jesus just goes and straight up has dinner with somebody. I mean, he's kind of a fan of eating, apparently, for real. If you read the New Testament, he eats a lot. And it's usually around a table or sometimes around a campfire on the beach. Like, I think sometimes in our world, now, he, now hear me, he is the Savior of the world. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? Like, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has the authority to speak into existence light and creation. He also has the authority to speak into existence salvation and forgiveness and grace. Deity. But he's also fully man. Like, he ate fish at a campfire. At the sunrise. That's just cool. I mean, that's the Savior that we serve. And today we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 9, one of these stories when Jesus, hey man, he's, he meets a guy and he does this a few times in scripture where he invites himself to dinner, which would be kind of stressful, right? Like if you ran into Jesus in the parking lot today and he said, hey, uh, yeah, we're going back to your house. And he just goes and leads the way. So if you've got a Bible or device, open up to Matthew chapter 9. It'll be on the screen as well to follow along. Matthew chapter 9. As we read about Jesus' conversation uh, with one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, whose name was Matthew. Uh, Matthew is also referred to as Levi um, in the New Testament. So you might see his name um, used in a number of different ways. Uh, And you also might notice that Matthew's book, his letter, is the first of the New Testament, which is very impressive to know that the guy that we're reading about today was a real person that really did answer the call to follow Jesus. And he ended up writing... Like not chronologically, but at least like the first book that we have printed in our New Testament. So if you're new to the faith or you're learning about Christianity, I mean, the book that we have here did not just fall out of the sky on golden tablets. That's not the God we serve. It was actually written down by lots of people over the course of thousand plus years and compiled through the Holy Spirit to give us what we have today. It's just wild. So this is Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. I'd also encourage you, um, if you're reading Scripture more and we really want our church to read Scripture every day, um, if you're trying to, to better that process or to strengthen that process, um, anytime, like in a devotion or something, if you just have one verse or a few verses, especially in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'd invite you to, to maybe get a book or a device or phone or something in the Bible app and look at that one or two verse that your devotion might be on, but then open up to like read maybe the whole, the whole chapter or at least kind of get an idea. What's really interesting about the stories, especially in like Matthew's gospel, is that it's, we're reading just one little bitty story today, but it's a part of like a three-day journey that Jesus had, right? So if you read maybe a page before and a page after, you can begin to see that Jesus was living life. This is just one snippet in a few days of a lot of activity. So Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, where was he passing on from? He had just healed a paralytic. He had just cast out demons from two guys. He had just... Uh, calmed a storm with his voice. I mean, he's, he's had a busy couple of days. So as he's leaving from there, it says in verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, rose and followed him. And as Jesus, the very next verse, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, whose house? Matthew's house. Behold, Many tax collectors and sinners, which is always fun to say, I don't know why, but sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, these religious religious leaders of Jesus' day, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, which meant Jesus had other disciples he had already called before he called Matthew. Why does your teacher, it's Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, which is cool to me, he didn't invite him, he invited himself to dinner. He also invites himself into conversations a lot of times. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a neat story of Jesus meeting the guy where he was, giving an invitation And allowing that man a chance to follow him. A few things I've gotten out of this text this week. I pray they speak to you as well. First, Jesus calls, we follow. When it comes to our spiritual lives, if you're a Christian and you're trying to become more like Jesus every day, we must remember this principle. Jesus does the calling, we do the following. When Jesus walked up to a tax collector's booth, If I can be honest with you, I don't think it was a place that people were coming together celebrating the ability to be there. If you work for the IRS or in the tax industry, we are not going to ask you to stand and we are not going to make fun of you. But traditionally, if I can be transparent in my life, whether it's property taxes, and they're lovely in that office in Morgan County, for real. They really are. I'm serious. They're lo- and, or, and, or it's the tag office, like for real. Wonderful people. I'm not kidding. It's a night and day difference from other places I've been. It's wonderful. I enjoy the conversation, but I've never walked into that room going, man, I'm so glad to give some of my money away. You know, has anybody, I've never done that. So in this day and age, it's even more different because they didn't have folks from Morgan County working in their tag office that a lot of us know by name who really are kind. They had people like Matthew, who was raised a devout Jewish man. His name was Levi from the Levitical law, meaning from the priesthood. Like this guy is really religious household, very likely, sitting at a tax collector's booth, meaning people were very likely in front of that tax collector's booth doing what? Paying taxes. Very likely not the place that people were excited to be. And Jesus walks up to the tax collector's booth and he says, Hey, brother, we don't, isn't that weird? We don't see how Jesus calls the guy. I think it could have been brother or friend or nerd. It could have been anything. He said, hey, Matt, like, come and follow me. He, as far as we know, Jesus doesn't acknowledge Matthew's parents or his lineage or his history. He might have met him in a previous situation. But in this moment, he goes up to the tax collector's booth and says, come and follow me. And what does Matthew do? Holds a book, just walks away. Did it take, you ever wonder these things when you read scripture? Did it take him a few minutes to go, well, I have to close up shop? You're like, I don't know. Did he pack his stuff up and put it in a bag? We're not giving that. We just know that Jesus said, follow me, and Matthew said yes. As an American reading these verses 2,000 years later, sometimes I forget that Matthew isn't just the first guy to be listed in the New Testament Gospels. Jesus called all of his disciples. Most of them were fishermen. Oftentimes, he'd call them by name. What's wild is they were very different from one another. Jesus had some guy in his camp as the founders of the church, right, that were fishermen, Peter, Andrew, John, James. He had other guys in his camp that were called things like Simon the Zealot. You ever heard of that guy? 
where we get the word zealot from or zealous. Simon the zealot was out of a camp that was going strong in Jesus' day that was trying to get almost like a militia-type movement going to overthrow the Roman government. They weren't a fan of the Roman, what would you call it, patriarchy? They weren't a fan of the Romans. They know that Jesus calls guys like Simon the zealot and then very shortly after goes to guys like Matthew who works for the establishment and says, I also want you to follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows. Do you think there was ever a chance that some of the disciples said, why in heaven's name are you calling him to follow us? I think at any moment Jesus could have said, I'm not calling him to follow us. I'm calling him to follow me. Jesus does the calling. We do the following. It's his call, church. In our spiritual lives, we must remember that. Whether we just became a Christian last week or we've been a Christian for 65 years, we have to do self-assessments and say, Lord, in my life, who is making the decisions? In my spiritual life, am I consulting the Lord? Seems like a basic question, but I would venture to say that some of us, if we ask ourselves that honestly this morning, when's the last time I said, dear Heavenly Father, I am struggling in this situation. How shall I move forward? Are we consulting him? Are we searching his word? Spending time in prayer? Listening for his voice? Jesus calls, we follow. You ever think what it might have been like to have been Matthew at this moment in time? You figure if you're a guy like him, most of his childhood friends who went to Jewish rabbinical school would have not wanted to hang out with him anymore because he was working for a government that was robbing the people. Most of the tax collectors in Matthew's day were taking more than they should have taken so that they could have the nicest house on the street, more food on the table, and wear the nicest clothes. And Jesus goes to one of those people and says, follow him. As far as I know, Jesus never apologizes for doing anything he chose to do in the New Testament. He did everything with full authority and full conviction. This is not an easy thing to say, definitely not an easy thing to hear. I do believe that Jesus says unto the children, you are like little lambs. And I love that imagery of Jesus taking a little lamb and holding it in his arms. And Jesus is a shepherd for the people. He will tend to the flock. But Jesus does not always care about our opinions on every issue. And that may be harsh, but I believe it's very true. We live in a world where our feelings and our thoughts and our opinions matter to everyone else all the time. If they don't, they should. We must remember that Jesus is God, we are not. So there will be times when Jesus may call us to do something that others may not understand. He may call us to do something that we may not understand. He may call someone else to do something that we don't understand. Which is why we got to remember the words from people like Paul in Philippians 3.14. Run your race. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Most of you can probably tell just by looking at me, but I ran track for two years in high school 25 years ago. I know. I ran it very, very slowly. It was, it was the worst, y'all. Like my parents were there, gone, son. But it was like out of obligation. They were just doing it to be supportive and quiet ride home. I was terrible at it. I didn't practice enough. I didn't condition. I'm sure. I don't know what it was. But I did learn one thing from running 3,200s or 1,600s or 400s or whatever other race there may have been. I tended, even in my slowness, to run 
faster when I focused on what was ahead of me, not on what was behind me. One of the things that distracts runners in races, especially short races where everybody's packed in together, kind of like this, right? We're packed in kind of right next to each other. And he's like, go is you're right next to other people who are going in the same direction. What does that mean for Sunday service today? God has the ability to call every child of his to run their race wherever he sets that race for them. You are not to run anyone else's race. You are to run yours. If you want your spiritual life to be strengthened, focus more on the race that God has called you to run and less on the race that other people are running. The comparison game very likely can wear out the church. God called tax collectors, he called fishermen, and he called zealots, and he gave them all the same mission, to run after him. They ran it different ways, they ran with different circles, but they were running after the same thing. Run your race. Allow Jesus to do the calling and us to do the following. Two of my favorite words as a child that I also get out of this passage was dinner time. Now, some of y'all probably grew up in houses that are a little fancier than mine. They said things like dinner. We'd say supper time or something. We'd all kinds of stuff in there. Whether at my dad's house or my grandparents' house, where I ate a lot of meals, especially in those like memory time kind of things. I don't know what house you may have grown up in when you heard those words. Supper time, dinner time. Memo, my grandmother didn't even have to say it. You know how we knew it was supper time? Smoke alarm would go off in the kitchen every day. <laughs> every day, without fail. Smoke alarm. Me and Christy, my sister, would be like, time to get some supper. Shouldn't I? We'd get up and go. For the first year or so, as I can remember, they would have to say, get the pie plate. I mean, if you don't have like, but we had paper plates because we were, I mean, this is who we were, still are, you know, and pie plate, paper plate, but we just didn't leave it there, y'all. We had paper plate holders, you know, that were wicker kind of things. We'd stick them in the wicker. So without having to be instructed my entire childhood, smoke alarm would go off, we'd leave the living room, go into the kitchen, grab a wicker paper plate holder, and what? Fan it. We'd open the door and swing the door, and the smoke would start going out, and we'd sit down for supper. Some of my favorite memories in all of life have taken place shortly after someone, either through a smoke alarm or through the very words, has said, it's dinner time. The greatest images I have of heaven that God has given me about the marriage supper of the Lamb, when I close my eyes, I still see some of the people that God has allowed me to blessed, be blessed by having dinner around their tables. I love it. I miss it. You ever you miss some of those? Can't go back. We can hold on to those memories as long as God gives them to us. But to me, it's powerful to know that Jesus chose to allow two words like dinner time to radically transform the lives of other people. What does scripture say he does with Matthew? Come and follow me. What do they do? They went into the wilderness and they fasted and prayed for 40 days. They went to the temple and they made a sacrifice on the altar. No. What does the scripture say? Matthew, follow me. Where do they go? Very next verse. Sure enough, they're sitting around Matthew's table eating dinner. What does that mean? Can you imagine if you're Matthew in that moment? Maybe you've heard, like, Matthew, follow me. I'm in, you know? Like, no one's ever accepted him. Joker's an outcast. Most of his family probably doesn't talk to him. He's not invited to enter dinner parties. And very likely, the people in the temple don't allow him to walk into the door to partake in the religious symbolism because they don't think he's worthy because of who he works for. And here Jesus is, the Messiah of the world, and he says, I own it all. Follow me, son. All right. Matthew gets up. Maybe he's thinking, this joker just calmed the storms. He just cast out demons. He's going to feed 5,000 people. We're going to raise dead people back to life. What does Jesus do? Walks to Matthew's house like a boss. Like, doesn't explain it as far as we know. Follow me. Where are we going? You'll find out. You think they turned on one street, and Matthew was like, this is looking familiar. 
maybe get to his mailbox and Jesus is like, come on in. He's like, I only, what do you mean come on in? It's my house. Jesus invites, as far as I know, himself to Matthew's house for dinner. Why? I believe it's because Jesus knew that something happened when he chose to recline at the table with his friends. Even his friends that didn't look, act, think, talk, or vote like him. He chose to recline at their tables. Apparently, somehow word got out. Maybe I think it was because Matthew was freaking out because of who just invited him to dinner at his own house. And Matthew started inviting his friends. What does Scripture say? Who does Matthew invite? He invited the priests and the Levites and his mama and his daddy. Scripture doesn't say that. Why? As far as I know, some of those people weren't even talking to him. He invited the only people that I know would have chosen to accept the invitation, other tax collectors and according to the Pharisees, other sinners. Those were his people. And Jesus is sitting around a dinner table with them, breaking bread, reclining at the table. Jesus loved to eat meals around dinner tables with his friends. And he had a lot of friends, many of whom did not think, act, or talk like he did. When Jesus says dinner time, I would hope and pray that we would all say, I want to sit at the table. When Jesus says it's time for a meal, it's time for a moment, it's time for a calling, it's time for a healing or whatever you may be in need of in your life, I would hope and pray that you would be more focused on his voice than the voice of anyone else who is trying to distract you from that call. Because we also know, and this isn't probably the best way to say this, but I think it's true. If you don't like it, just email me. We'll figure it out. Some people have nothing better to do with their time than criticize the lives of other people. And that's nothing new under the sun. The text says that Matthew gets called by Jesus himself. Jesus shows up for a dinner party at Matthew's house. You think Matthew like texted his mom or something on the way? Like, Mom, we got to go by Publix? I don't, Jesus is here. Like, we got to feed him something. Jesus doesn't ask any of those questions. People at the table, a lot of them are tax collectors and sinners, according to the Pharisees. But according to the scripture, where are the Pharisees? Apparently close by, with enough time on their hands to criticize what Jesus is doing. They had nothing better to do than criticize what Jesus was doing. In our lives, now don't quote me on this, all right? Don't go to somebody that's wearing you out right now and say, well, preacher said on Sunday <laughs> that you ain't got nothing better to do on your, t-. you know, they don't, no, no, don't quote me there. Tell, if you do, tell them we go to, let's pick a church. You know, like another church, like just fill in the blank there. But we've got to be honest for a second, just two seconds here. Some people still in this world have nothing better to do than sit around and talk about the things we are doing in our lives that they do not agree with. Hear this. There are some things that other people do. There are a lot of things that other people do that I do not agree with. And I believe God calls us to use the scripture and to use his presence and his calling to bring the truth of Christ everywhere we go. I'm not saying we aren't to have a firm foundation. We are to have a firm foundation. But our first primary focus is to be on Christ more than anyone else. The devil wins when we get distracted by the sins of other people. Hear this. We must ask ourselves another tough question. Could it be that any church folk in 2022, maybe some even in this room are hearing these words right now, are currently struggling because we are finding ourselves to have nothing better to do than do nothing but criticize the things that other people are doing that we don't agree with. I don't agree with a lot of people, and I'm not going to list them out. You know, here's a picture. Wouldn't that be fun? I was like, here's Billy. <laughs> Billy Ward in here. Is he? Not in church today. Should have been in church, Billy. Just kidding, Billy. I like Billy. I had breakfast with him this week. He's one of my best friends. I'm kidding. It's, we do it all the time. It's fine. But to know that 
following Christ means that sometimes we have to sit in his presence and bask in what he is doing more than we sit in the presence of other people that we disagree with. We've got to ask ourselves a tough question, y'all, and we're getting close. Why weren't the Pharisees at the table? Why were the Pharisees sitting outside if they were outside? Why were they standing in the living room? I personally do not believe it's because they didn't get an invite. I personally believe that Jesus would have allowed them a seat. Personally, I think if they were struggling enough, Jesus would have said to one of the tax collectors or sinners in his midst, boy, get up, come here, sit down for a second. Everyone is, hear this, hear this, hear me. Everyone is invited to the table to come just as they are. Hear this. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, stay as you are, but he says, come as you are, which means there has to be a seat open for someone to come and hear and experience the goodness of Christ before they can be transformed by him. So Jesus is sitting at this table, but some people had nothing better to do than criticize him for what he was doing, saying things like, eating with nothing but tax collectors and sinners. We don't say those phrases a lot. If you don't like tax collectors that much, maybe, but we don't say those phrases a lot. But I would venture to say that some of us, even today, when we think of the word sinner or those people or someone we can't stand or someone we despise or a group of people that we just don't believe in or a political party that's just wearing us out or fill in the blank with a number of other things, we have to ask ourselves a tough question. Could we ever become like the Pharisees and miss out on an opportunity to experience the presence of God because we are too busy focused on what we don't like about somebody else than we are to be willing to hear Jesus' invitation to come and sit in his presence in the midst of others. What does Psalm 23 say? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine own enemies. Why would he do that? Two reasons. One, I think in the kingdom he's going to say, everybody else, take a seat. This one's mine when he's talking about me and everybody else. But I also think that Jesus knows something happens when we choose to sit in his presence in the midst of other people that we may disagree with. I saw a commercial this week, and I'm going to mess it up. I was going to play it, but they probably shut me down. It was ESPN. I'm not dogging ESPN for anything. It was pretty good. I watched too much football yesterday. I understand. But they have this cool commercial, and it says, where else can everybody come together? And they show all these different types of people. Where else can we all choose to believe or something? Where else can we all gather? Where else can we all focus? And finally, my wife yesterday was like, this is a church. It was our motto first, and I don't care if they try to use it. A thousand years from now, we'll still be here. But knowing that that's the definition of the church, to be the type of place that every tribe, nation, and tongue can gather at a table and have disagreement, but still gather with the primary purpose of being in the presence of Jesus. So we've got to ask ourselves, if you're trying to follow Jesus' example, could we possibly ever miss out on an opportunity to spend time with the Lord if he is leading us to sit at someone else's table. To go to a meal with someone else that we may disagree with. People get ready. If you are now thinking, no. If maybe somebody here is struggling to say, Jesus would never call me to be around someone I disagree with. Jesus would never call me to be around one of those people, whoever those people may. Jesus would never call me to be around sinners like that. I would highly encourage you to ask yourself if you possibly could be more of a Pharisee than you're willing to admit. Is it easy? No. Do I disagree with people? Yes. Did Jesus disagree with people? All the time. But he still chose to break bread with them. 
And in this story, I'm reminded that the Pharisees missed out on the party because they were too busy judging the people sitting around the table. In the prodigal son story, guy has two kids. One goes off, squanders all his money, finally realizes he should come home, and he comes home. Dad throws a party. What's the older son doing in the field? He's sulking because he's angry. How dare my father throw a party for my brother? I've been faithful. I've been working. I'm one of the right ones. I'm in the right mindset. And all the while, what does the father say? Brother, you're missing out. You're missing out on being here with me. I don't want to miss out on the presence of God because of my own stubbornness. And it's interesting to me that the Pharisees said, who is this Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> Which is what we close with. Jesus only calls sinners. Why? Because we're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you got saved at six years old, whether you're still not a Christian now, we're in the same camp. We're standing before the throne. If you happen to get the chance to be standing next to Billy Graham and, I don't know, fill in a few other blanks of really Christian folks that you believe are Christians in there, when God looks at us, he sees all of us the same. The Pharisees said, why would Jesus do this? And what does Jesus say? Sick folks need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. What does that mean? Who's righteous? Christ. Who else can become righteous? Those that are in Christ, which means what? Who's righteous outside of Christ? That's what Jesus is doing. He said, I came to call everybody who thinks they're righteous. You might miss an invitation. Who thinks they are good enough on their own. You're going to miss an opportunity, not just now, for, for all of eternity. Like the little kids, those little guys, sharp-looking dudes that we dedicated this morning. Right? Y'all remember that? First time, if you've had a child, you're in the hospital and they Here's the baby in that last day, like, all right, go on home with the most fragile thing that exists on the planet. You're like, I'm supposed to do what? You go home and you find a, phys- a pediatrician, then a general practice, and you just keep going. Why? Because to stay healthy, you need to continue to have checkups. You don't check kids out at two years old and say, well, he's never going to the doctor again. The same is true for adults. If you ever get to a place in life where you don't think you need the Lord's grace and forgiveness in your life, I would highly encourage you to reevaluate that. Who needs a doctor? We all do. You and I should be more aware than our sins than we are the sins of other people. Did Jesus die on the cross to save the sins from the save the world from their sins? Yes. Have I ever repented for one of your sins? No. I would hope that you've never repented for one of mine. Because he came for mine. Own that. And know that when I start to sway, when I stay unfocused, when I get out of my lane, when I start talking more about the sins of other people than I do my own sins, I'm in a dangerous place. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were pointing out the sins of everybody else. And their sins. Is there sin in the world, church? Yes. Is the world fallen and lost? Yes. Does God call us to go out and be like light and salt? Yes. Calls us to be aware of our own need for him before we're aware of other people's needs for him. To me, it makes it easier to tell people they need a doctor when we can lead with, let me tell you what the doctor's done for me. Jesus only calls sinners, which is good because we're all in that camp together. So this week, somebody on the way out after first service said, so what I got out of the sermon today is I need to go to a restaurant 
Find someone that looks like a sinner and say, buy my dinner. I'm going to eat with you. That sounds like fun. Like, Try it. Let's see what happens. Says, Let's go. We laughed. I said, of course not. But to be aware of this, two different camps, and we're closing out. There are people like Matthew, very likely in this room right now, and 100% likely in the world that we're about to walk into, that are currently sitting at some type of tax collector's booth, waiting for someone to offer them an invitation to belong and have purpose and calling and meaning and worth and value. There will be people this week that we are going to meet that have been put down maybe since they were a kid or a teenager and they are worn out and tired and they don't know if they can have the strength to keep on doing what they're doing. Something happens when we are aware of how God sees other people. Pay attention to the Matthews you may meet this week, church, because you will meet Matthews. He went on to write the first book in the New Testament because Jesus was willing to say, you are worthy of following me because of who I am. And second... Let us pay attention to any group of people or individual or whatever that we may get to a point to think, well, they're not worthy. They're not okay. They're not, he's not, she's not. They may be living in utter sin, and we can acknowledge that. But to know that to be Christ-like, not Danny-like, to be Christ-like is to still be willing to say, I want to break bread with you. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of hearing about the goodness of God because of what he's done in my life. I needed a doctor too. Let me about tell you about the doctor that changed me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not asking for sacrifice, but for asking for mercy. Thank you for calling people like Matthew. Thank you for offering that call and invitation to everyone. I don't know what it, I do know some of what it felt like, but I don't know exactly what it felt like to be Matthew on that day when you said, hey, follow me. We're going to preach it, you know. But I'm thankful you choose to do the unexpected, God. Lord, for anybody that's hearing these words right now that maybe feels like a Matthew in this world, please, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, remind them of their worth and their value to you, remind them, Lord, that you know their name and you know their story and you care, God, that Jesus died on the cross for them and he came back to life so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, may we be aware of those in our lives this week who are in need of the good news of Jesus. Help us, Lord, for this world is full of people that are doing things now that are so different from what you teach. They're so far from the truth. Help us, God, to discern your call and your voice to be the light in the midst of the dark and to be willing to break bread around tables. Maybe, God, you might do something crazy. Lay someone on our hearts, maybe even right now, that we need to invite to sit at our table. If we're not comfortable inviting them to the house yet, meet them at a local place, you know, but around our table with our family. Lord, I want everybody to know what it's like to hear those words at dinner time. I've been saving you a seat. But most of all, I want them to know what it's like to have a seat saved next to Jesus himself. Thank you for saving us a seat at your table, Lord. Help us to be like Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
We invite you to stand if you're able, church.